The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, we read, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now that's pretty clear what's about to happen. And I don't know if the two events actually happened in this close proximity in reality or not, or whether Matthew put them there as a contrast for us to see. But either way, notice what happens next in the text. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with, their, with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Now it appears that Jesus turns to the two men from this point and he says, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And they said to him, Oh, we're able. He said to them, You will drink the cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. You know, inside, Jesus is probably thinking, Really? Did you guys just hear what I said? Have you got beans in your ears? <laughs> you guys are clueless. You are my closest friends. You walk with me every day. You tell me how much you love me and that you'd follow me anywhere. And instead of being devastated that I'm about to die this horrible death, all you can think about is your own glory. And then we read on. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why do you think they were indignant? Because their friends were so insensitive? Of course not. They were mad because that's what they wanted. They were jealous. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we just finished a series on American idols. Don and Franklin offered us several suggestions of possible idols. But the truth of the matter is, there's really only one idol. Me. No matter if it's money or more or power or prestige or sports or whatever you want to put in that blank, the real idol is me. I choose what I want. It gets second place, and guess where God comes in? At a distant third. He's not willing to take second place, let alone third. 
Did you notice Jesus' statement about how we are to be great in his kingdom? We're to be servants. Servants of all. Slaves. A number of years ago, there was a book written by Pat Robertson called Keys to the Kingdom. And in it, he asks a question uh, as he's trying to explain and illustrate what it is to be a servant. He said, if you're going to choose a doctor, do you want the one that comes in, never looks at you, reads your chart, says, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, writes a prescription and turns around and walks out? Or do you want the one that comes in, sits down, looks you in the eye, talks to you, asks you what's going on, finds out all the details, then he offers you the options and talks to you about which one he thinks would be better for you and helps you make a decision about your care, finally writes an order for the tests or gives the prescription or whatever is necessary? Of course, that's the one you want. You see, Jesus, our example of a servant, he didn't have any other motive for his self-sacrifice than love. He could have said, this bunch of selfish, self-centered knotheads don't deserve me or my love. But he didn't. He would have been right, but that isn't what he did. He went to the cross. Not for his glory, but for our salvation. So now I want to pose to you the hard part. We have to examine our motives. When we do something that would appear to the world as something magnanimous and gracious and merciful, generous, is it really love that motivates us? Or is it because we think we'll get some recognition? We're told in Scripture not to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration, but you get the picture. So as we take these emblems this morning, emblems of his sacrificial death and burial and resurrection, let us ask the Spirit to examine our hearts and make us aware of the motives that we operate from. And then ask him to cleanse our hearts and give us renewed hearts and be motivated by his pure love. Let's pray. Father, create in me, create in us pure hearts. Show us ourselves as you see us. Cleanse us from our selfishness and our self-serving attitudes and empower your spirit in our lives that we can let you live your life through us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. What's the most typical American way to greet one another? In Japan, it's customary to bow. In Belgium, uh, all people kiss on both cheeks regardless of gender. Arab nations... Only the men kiss on both cheeks. Uh, opposite genders don't speak. But in the U.S., it's often a 
handshake, hi, how are you? Uh, and 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 maybe if you're a Friends fan, it might be a how you doing? Uh, you know, it could, you could throw something like that in there. It might respond with a uh, fine and you uh, can't complain, pretty good. If you're really a good Baptist, you're too blessed to be stressed, you know, stuff like that. You, you could slip one of those in there. But what if we... What if we went deeper? And I mean really deeper. Not the kind of conversation you have in the Walmart aisle. I saw online a preacher ask this question a couple of weeks ago and looking for answers all over America. If there's one thing you would change about your life, fill in the blank. Here are some bullet point answers of people dealing with this question as they greeted one another. My grade school child is losing his battle with cancer and I'm mad at God. Another one said, our marriage is only two years old and we're both ready to quit. Another said, we love our special needs child, but we're overwhelmed and discouraged. Another guy said, I can't quit going to those websites I know I'm supposed to avoid. I feel invisible to my husband and my kids. We won't climb out of this debt. I'll never climb out of this depression. You get the idea? Would yours be similar? If we asked you a really hard question, would it be a real struggle, a real discouragement? What do you say to questions like that? I get people that I talk to sometimes in Walmart, sometimes in town, sometimes in the office, and... And we try to deal with these kind of situations. And I'm never really good, and so I try to go to God's Word, and I come up with some version of the following three words. Don't give up. Because, see, those words are more than comfort. They are words of courage. Now, you need to understand, some people need to hear them in different frameworks. Somebody that's dealing with grief needs to hear don't give up in a different phrasing than somebody that is dealing with guilt. Somebody who is angry needs to deal with it differently and needs to hear it differently than someone who is addicted. They need words of courage. Now, the New Oxford Dictionary gives two definitions for courage or encouragement. Uh, Number one is an action of giving someone support or hope. The second one says a persuasion to do or to continue to do something. It's that second one I really want us to dig into. It's powerful. It contains verbs. It's, It's time for a battle cry. We're starting a new series today called Encourage. And yes, it is spelled that way on purpose. To be a giver of courage. To speak courage into someone. Now the Bible has lots of different passages that deal with this issue. I want to dig deep into Hebrews chapter 12 because I think this one empowers. So I'm going to invite you to turn there uh, with me, Hebrews chapter 12. If you're online, you're listening on the radio, welcome to Central Christian Church. My name is Don. I want to say a little bit of an advertisement here. The video that started this series, the one with the clouds... That was produced, directed, including the music, by two of our young people, Jaden Hayes and uh, Caden Smith. And they built it, they wrote all the music, they recorded it all, and that's pretty amazing. And so when you listen to that next time, when you see it, that's going to be the open for this series. 
Uh, another one of our young ladies, Emily, is uh, editing another video that we'll see in the next week or two. Uh, one of our We Are Central videos. We have a lot of talented young people that are involved in our media. And Franklin is mentoring all of these people. And if you have a passion in some of those areas, I, I would love to see you get involved. But I just really want you, if you see Jaden or Caden or Emily, pat them on the back. Tell them thank you. They're doing a great job. There you go. Yeah. A little slow on the pickup there, but you got it. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's get into it. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. It's halftime. It's the championship game, and the other team is doing good. It is the core of every sports movie, of every sports movie script, from Rudy to uh, Remember the Titans to Glory Road. Uh, Kevin, for a basketball coach, I wanted to throw a basketball movie in there. It's that, it's time for the win one for the Gipper speech. I know you're tired. Get back out there. Suck it up and well, let's go win. You're tired. Everyone's tired. Get back out there and get after it. We do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of speculation. A lot of people say Paul. That's probably why it is attached to the Bible. Some suggest, and I kind of one of them, that Barnabas may have penned Hebrews. We don't really know who wrote it, but we know who the intended audience was. The intended audience was a people that were tired, that were weary, and that were losing heart. Because they were dealing with a Roman government. And the Roman government was not annoying them. It was abusing them. You see, when, when, Israel, uh, when, when the Roman government took over Israel, they put proctors and different people in there. And they could do whatever they wanted to with no, really no way of recourse. They could tax at any time up to 60% of your income. And they didn't do it once a year on April 15th. They just did it any time. If they felt like they were getting low, they just stood up and they opened up a table and said, all right, you owe us a new tax and you've got to pay it today and so you'd have to have it. And if you mouthed off to them or you didn't like this and you said, hey, let's get a rally together down on the uh, courthouse steps and let's get upset about this, they would kill you. Or they would kill your family in front of you and then burn your house down. To make you a, a kind of a point to shut everybody else up. You see, they didn't rule uh, with any kind democracy. They rule with an iron fist. It's our way. You can't do anything about it. They weren't. They weren't just being inconvenienced. They were. It was a time of injustice. And the Hebrew writer is writing to people that are worn out and beat up and emotionally empty. And look how he starts. The 12th chapter with the word, therefore. We've said it before. Every time you see the word, therefore, you better stop and see what it's therefore. Therefore means it's wrapped around something. This phrase is wrapped around the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which 
is what we often refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame. The writer spends pages describing people that have faced enormous challenges, but they kept believing. Heroes like Noah and Abraham and Moses. Women like Rahab and Sarah. People that circled Jericho. People that forded the Red Sea. He talks about them in groups, but I need you to hear that not everybody in Hebrews chapter 11 is a perfect person. Everybody has flaws that are in there. There's a guy named Samson in there. We did a big study of Samson back in the spring, and and after all the work we got through, I guess a knucklehead. All right, he did a bunch of knucklehead stuff. How in the world he gets in there? We still don't figure that one out. There's a guy named Barak in there. Barak is a warrior, and he does some good warrior things, but he starts and he puts all his trust in a woman, not in God. And whatever the woman says, he'll he'll go do that. You got Gideon in there who has moments of doubt then moments of great things, and then moments of selfishness and pity. Then you have a guy named David who has moments of being a human. Is that fair? These are not perfect people. He wants you to know that there are people that are throughout history that haven't been perfect, but God loves them. And he goes on to say, a cloud of witnesses. Now, in Scripture, there are two, cloud, two Greek words for cloud. I'm not going to try to pronounce them. The first word is a Greek word that describes a white, fluffy thing that floats in the sky that we call a cloud. So it's, it's the word that means cloud. But the second one, the one used here, is, is different. It talks about an encompassing cloud, a, like a fog that comes in and it surrounds you all over you. You can see the first one, but the You feel the second one. A cloud of witnesses. Witnesses is interesting. An eyewitness is someone that observes something, tells something that that was happening. There's some discussion on what that means. Is that a witness or is that all of the people that have gone on before us that are standing up at the edge of heaven and looking over and looking down at us? Maybe they are. Maybe they are. I don't really know. I have, a, I have a little trouble with that because I feel like heaven is supposed to be this happy place. And if they're all standing up there doing this and watching me mess up, it's probably not that great. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what that exactly means. But what if instead of witness, it said cheerleader? Listen to that verse uh, 1 from the Living Bible. Since we have such a huge crowd of people of faith cheering for us from the grandstands. Man, that's a neat phrase. Cheering for us. If you've ever been to Wichita Falls, Texas, or if you're from Wichita, or you hang out in Wichita Falls, Texas, you know about this event. It's called the Hotter Than Hell 100. It's held every year. This next year is going to be their 40th anniversary. I do apologize for cussing in church, but that's the name of the event. All right, I'm just calling it as I see it. That is a picture of two and maybe three years ago of the starting line. Okay, all of that mess you see back there are bicycle riders. They have 13 to 15,000 riders at this event. It's crazy insane. I lived there for a few years, and they get a lot of the community volunteers. It's a massive, massive economic boost to the town. So they want volunteers for everywhere, and they have volunteer roles for all kinds of things. They need a timer. They need somebody to work uh, the sag wagons. What the sag wagon is is a, a van pulled by a big flatbed trailer 
that goes around and picks, all up the, uh, picks up the losers like me that quit in the middle of the race. All right? This was a dumb idea. I don't know why I did this. All right? uh, the sagwing, and you have people that work in the, the, the medical tents. They actually call them mash tents. They spell out mash up there because there's a lot of us that still like that old show. And they put all of that stuff up there. They have people that work at the registration table, but the one role they ask the most for, and they frequently get somewhere between two and 5,000 people to do this role, this is what they're called. They're called clappers. And here's what their job is to do. You ready? I really wanted to put a picture of Jason Garrett up there. Um, bad, bad, Don. Don't do that. All they're supposed to do is stand out there beside the race with 13,000 riders going by going, Hey, you're doing great. Keep it up. Don't die. You know, stuff like that. All right? That's their purpose. Their purpose is to just say we're there for you. What if when we read a cloud of witnesses, we think of cheering fans? Fans that are supporting us. But friends, these witnesses are not just feel-good moments. They are stories that speak power into our struggles. Now, sometimes they speak words we don't like, but they're words we need. The first, one of the first witnesses that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 is a guy named Abraham. Listen to what it says about Abraham in verse 8 from the ESV version. By faith, Abraham, when he uh, obeyed, excuse me, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and so he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now, you need a little backstory to that. They were living in a place called Haran. That is, in modern day, the edge of Turkey and Syria. Haran was where Sarah's dad and family is from. And that's where they were living. A, com a comfortable, predictable, safe life. I'm going to guess that Abe and Sarah had the plan. You know the plan. Oh, we're going to get married. We're going to have a couple of kids. We're going to get a dog. We're going to, we're going to raise some sheep. We're going to raise some goats. We're going to live happily ever after. The plan. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe they, they had the plan. And God shows up and tells him to move somewhere. We don't know where. Can you imagine that conversation he pulls up in the front driveway with a U-Haul? Uh, honey, guess what? What? We're going on a trip. That sounds fun. Where are we going? <laughs> Funny you should mention that. We don't know. How popular is that wife? Uh, is that husband going to be with that wife? Uh, you don't know what? You don't know where we're going? I mean, how hard was that? But you need to know even more of the backstory. Abraham did not have a Sunday school background. Now, you and I, we've got the book. We know what happens to Abraham. We know that we got 2020 backwards vision. We can see what all he did. At that time, he didn't have any of that. There wasn't an Israel. There wasn't a chosen people. In fact, we find out in the book of Joshua that Sarah's dad, Terah, was an idol worshiper. So, worshiping Jehovah God was not taught to him. It was not in his DNA this was all foreign, but there are three powerful words that change literally the history of our planet. Three powerful words you hear from Abraham, and it's, it's these three words. So he went. Friends, faith needs to move us forward, even when it doesn't make sense. 
Faith has got to be something that pushes us to move towards Jesus, even if it doesn't make sense. You know what's easy, though? I'll tell you what's really easy, really easy to go, let's go back to where we were. Let's go back. Everything's kind of crazy here. I don't understand, and I don't know what the next steps are, so let's go back to where it was, where it made sense. That's what the Israelites did. They're slaves in Egypt. God brings the plagues. He breaks them out of Egypt, goes through the Red Sea on dry ground. They watch the Red Sea swallow up the enemy. They're two days on the other side of it going, you know what, we ought to go back to Egypt. We don't know where we're at out here. There's no food out here. We're going to die. Let's just go back there. See, it's easy to yell at them and go, how could they be that dumb? But we do the same thing. Our culture... Every time we come up against something, and I don't care if that's religious culture or pop culture or anything, we come up against something we don't understand. We go, you know what we need to do? We need to go back to the church of the 50s. That's when everything was perfect. No, it wasn't. We, we think of this some utopian time that was a long time ago. Let's go back there. Let's do things like we did. It's never. It wasn't any good back then. Why do we want to go backwards? Faith should move us forward. It should challenge us to move forward. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Did you hear those lyrics? Did you see, we don't like uncertainty. Apple and Google are constantly updating their maps. Every once in a while you get a deal that says, hey, tonight at midnight you're going to update. It's going to have new little features to it. But I love that, all right? We were just, Lander and I were in Santa Fe last week. I love the thing that you put it on. I put it on my little deal on the dash, and it says, go through this light, and at the next light, turn left. Yes, you moron, I said turn left. I really need it to have that kind of... But I like the voice-activated turn-by-turn directions. Anybody? I don't have to think. I just All i got to do is have the volume up. I mean, that's all I really have to do. Just pay attention. Think how great that would be for life choices. More details. Hey, don't take this job, but there's another job offer coming at the next slide. Take that job. Huh? Anybody? You know, who to go out with, which house to buy, what, what car to take care of. You know, what, what should we do? But life rarely works that way on things that really matter. Talk to the couple that month after month, They take that pregnancy test and they see that negative sign. And all they think of is, what do we do next? What is the next step? Maybe it's the worker. The worker that keeps getting pats on the back but not the promotion they need. Maybe it's the teenager that's wondering what's wrong with them. Everybody else seems to get it. How come I don't get it? I don't fit in. Everybody else has got it figured out. Do you see what I'm saying? There are no satellite directions on turns on things that matter most. God shows up in Abraham's life, and Abraham listens and risks it all to follow him. Friends, all faith involves risk. No great stories of faith ever were risk-free. In fact, the hidden irony of our life is playing it safe turns out to be the biggest risk of all. Just, uh, you know what, I don't want to do anything. We don't want to upset anybody, so let's just do nothing. That ends up upsetting everybody. That ends up doing more damage than good. You've seen those ads, risk-free? There's no such thing. 
90 days risk-free. There's always risk involved. No matter where you go, there's risk involved. 54% of all accidents in America happen in the home. And you know the rest of the joke that the blonde or the Aggie is moving out because he doesn't want to live there anymore because all those accidents are happening in his home. You know, I found this one this week. Since 2015, over 2,600 accidents have sent people to the hospital involving a lazy boy. 2,600 people have been hospitalized because their chair attacked them. Right? I don't know what kind of lazy boy people you have. Or if you can't operate a lazy boy, should you be in public? You know, I mean, we, we really... I got a hunch that Abraham planned a safe, low-risk life there in Haran. We're going to raise our kids. We're going to raise our sheep. Everything's going to be okay. We'll just stay put. But faith doesn't stay put. Faith cannot be sedentary. It can't be, I'm just going to sit here and not do anything, which causes me questions. Am I following God in a way that requires faith? Am I doing anything in my life that requires faith and confidence where I got to step out and do something? How many of you have ever done scuba diving? Scuba, anybody got scuba license? Okay. Scuba training is an interesting thing. I, I love doing it. I'm not a great scuba diver, but I love doing it. But how they trained you is they put the big pack, you know what I'm talking about, the big pack on your back. They put that breather in your mouth, and they stand you in a pool of water about here, okay, up to your knees, right? Put the thing on, and we're like, this is so dumb. And then we put it in, you go, and we all make the jokes, Luke, I am your father. You know, we were, we were goofing around, right? And then they say, okay, walk into the water. And you're just doing, and you get about right here, and here's what happens. Right here, I'm breathing fine. Everything is weak. You know why? Because it's not natural. It's against my nature. Everything is going... Everything in there is saying, don't do this. Don't let things in because it's not comfortable. Friends, faith is not in life's circumstances. It is in God's character. He is asking us to breathe Him in. He is asking us to trust to breathe Him and Him only. You see, Abraham trusted the heart of God, not the map. And he's calling us to do that. Now, sometimes that, that call to faith, we gather everybody around, we pray, and it does heal somebody. And sometimes we gather everybody around and, and, and we pray and we do get the bills paid. But sometimes what happens in that moment is even greater and it's more precious. Sometimes God gives you the courage to get through when the healing doesn't come. And the bills continue to come. Quickly, I want to talk about one other word in this comfort zone. Anybody heard that phrase? It's a big catchy phrase in church. Get in, you know, get out of your comfort zone. I want you to, I want you to think about that phrase and go back with me a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at this passage a little in this study too. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth that has consistently made mistakes. But he talks in chapter 1, he starts the chapter out, 
He loves this church, but they keep doing knuckleheaded things. We've heard, get out of your comfort zone. I want to pitch to you a different idea with that phrase. Listen in chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Did you notice one word being repeated a lot? Comfort. Shows up in there 31 times. I said it wrong last night. Shows up in there 31 times, but I love the name of God there. He is the Father of Comfort. The Father of Comfort. Now, I don't know what it's like in your house, and I'm not making any blanket statements, but let's just be real. Most of the time, in most homes, if you need comfort, who do you run to? Mom, there we go. Eh, oh, come here, honey. Let's put a Band-Aid on that. A little boo-boo. What do dads we usually do? Walk it off. Rub some dirt on it. I heard these words come out of my mouth. I could not believe it. I couldn't stop it. I got, they, they came running out of my mouth. You better quit crying or I'll come in there and give you something to cry about. <laughs> I couldn't get them back in fast enough. It's terrible. But our dad, our father, gives comfort. He wants us to be in a space of comfort. Everybody keeps telling us, get out of your comfort zone. I don't want you to do that. I want you to get in a comfort zone that is him. We need to get in our comfort zone, into him. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. We get lost in the old English of that. But what he's saying is, I want him to be the only thing I'm looking at. I want my comfort to come from him. I want my strength to come from him. He comforts us to do what? So we will get out and comfort somebody else. He is causing us to, I want you to... Whatever you're worried about, whatever is overwhelming you, I want to give you the courage and the comfort to go comfort other people. He comforts us to make us comforters. But friends, we have to move. When our confidence is in God, we can move where He needs. Now we said a name of our God is Father of Comfort, but our enemy has a name that is similar. Do you remember what a name in Scripture? Father of lies john chapter 8 he's called the father of lies and you know what he's going to lie to you about he's going to lie to you about your comfort he's going to say no you need to be comfortable you need to make you comfortable we just got out of this series of american idols you need to do what makes you happy you hear those phrases all the time do more things that make you happy he's saying no get your comfort from a god who is strong in the midst of all this uncertainty our faith can struggle. Our walk becomes labored. Our, our heart gets heavy. There's something about the unknown that weakens us, true? I don't know what the next steps are. I don't know what we're going to do. I, and we get afraid and we kind of almost withdraw. It drains our patience, blurs our focus. 
Yet in the middle of it all stands a very faithful God. Let's be honest. It seems more difficult than ever right now to not worry about tomorrow. We see all of the division. We see all of the frustration. And it's easy to worry about tomorrow. But God has asked us to do exactly the opposite of that. To move in faith. To move forward in faith. To fix our eyes on the Father of comfort. He will help us move. Even in the midst of uncertainty, we can be certain of one thing. Our God is faithful. Amen? That is in His character. That is what He stands for. Is His faithfulness. He gives comfort because of this cloud of witnesses that are wrapping all around us. They're, they're trying to tell us, don't give up. Be strong. Be not afraid. The Lord is on His way. He will break through. He will tear through the night. He'll destroy the dark as we celebrate together. We're going to sing one little more, a little bit more of that song again. And we're going to invite you to sing with us. We've got a celebration of a baptism. But maybe some of this is meeting you. Maybe you are broken and need courage. Let us pray over you. Let us baptize you. Let us point you to the Father of comfort so you may be comforted. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.